my friend. Welcome back to The Everyday Evangelist. I'm Jessica Dudek, Director of Evangelization at Christ the King Catholic Church in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and this is your landing ground for practical tips and tools for sharing the faith in the day-to-day. Today, we're talking about physical healing, but specifically, how do we discern what sort of healing God is bringing when we're praying for physical healing, and what do we do if we pray for physical healing and we don't witness it? To get started, let's look at Acts chapter 3 where Peter and John are going to the temple to pray, and there's a beggar at the gate, at the gate called the Beautiful Gate, who asks them for alms. Now, this beggar is a beggar because he was lame from birth. And in those times, if somebody had a physical handicap like that, they didn't have options for a job. You needed to be able to do manual labor in order to work. And also society was set as such that women really depended on a male family member in order for them to be provided for, even if they themselves worked. That was just the way the societal structure was. So for this man to be lame from birth meant that never in his life was he able to provide for himself. He would have needed to rely on family members. And so for him to be begging at this stage of his life also means that he's probably completely alone. Now, obviously he has somebody in his world that they bring him to that place to beg, but nobody is specifically taking care of him. And he's just going to have to hope in life that people bring him to that place where he can beg. And he has to rely on the generosity of strangers just to get by from one day to the next. This is a man who has never had independence, never had freedom, um, and doesn't have a pathway forward in life. He's really denied the privilege of, of dreaming, of learning, of growing, any of that. That's all cut off from him because of his physical ailment. So he's at the gate and, you know, he asks Peter and John for alms and he's seen them before. And it's really a very smart place for him to beg because he knows the people there are God fearing. And it's very much in the commandments to take care of those who are poor. Anyway, what happens is Peter and John look at him and say to him, Peter says, Gold and silver I have not, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand. And they help him to his feet. And for the first time ever, he has strength in his legs. He is able to stand and walk and he runs and he jumps and he shouts and he starts telling everybody about this. He's like instant evangelist going out and telling the world the miracle that just happened. Now, there are several elements we want to pay attention to. One is that in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And that's something that is true of the faith then. And since it's true then, it's true in every time, context, and culture that by the name of Jesus, we are healed. That there is power to see physical healing when we pray for that. And Peter stands in that authority and he speaks healing over that man and it is received. But another element that we want to pay attention to is that the man did not actually ask for physical healing. He asked for alms 
and he was given, you know, the healing of his legs instead. So what does that mean? Well, obviously, it's not just Peter's idea that he gets physically healed. We might be tempted to think that. We might think, well, you know, they couldn't give him alms, so we'll just, you know, heal him instead. Well, wh- why is that? Well, like we mentioned earlier, his inability to walk meant his inability to work. And so his inability to provide for himself or have a future. And so when he is asking for alms, what he's asking for is to be provided for. That's really, you know, the heart of the question in the request for alms. And so when he receives healing in the name of Jesus, he now has the ability to work and the ability to provide for himself. And so what's found in the place of physical healing is actually this sort of deeper need that sets up his whole life. And in this, this is a new life that he now has. It signifies really being born again because his whole future is completely changed. Also, before this, he is brought to the external part of the gate. He is outside the temple and now he's inside the temple praising God and telling others about the power of the name of Jesus. And so while we don't know his full history or what life has looked like for him, by being lame, he could never approach the temple just of his own choice. He didn't have those choices. And so we can only take a guess at what sort of estrangement he might have had in his faith. Um, We actually don't even know if he was a Jew inherently, probably, given the culture, given the environment that he's in. Um, But by his own choice, it's not like he could go to the temple and seek the Lord and praise God, which means a cutoff from a relationship with the Father, but also a cutoff from society. You know, he's impoverished. He's below everybody. He's, you know, probably looked down upon in a lot of ways. So... With a physical healing comes this renewal of life. It's really a total new lease on life. Now he can go into the temple of his own choosing. He can go and worship the Lord. By the power of the name of Jesus, he is free to seek the Lord of his own volition. Now he's the one teaching his peers. So everyone in the past that he relied upon for provision in order to live, now he's in turn teaching them the truth of eternal life. And obviously, as we mentioned before, he has a pathway forward. He can provide for himself. He can get a job. And so this physical healing is actually really only one part of a much bigger story. And granted for him, it is the crux of that story. But nestled all around it, we see the redemption of a man coming into society, being one who teaches others, having a new lease on life going forward, and entering fully into that place of conversion and having a relationship with Jesus that will bring him into eternity. And so, 
when we're looking at a situation where someone needs physical healing, there's a lot more wrapped up in this. There's that person's relationship with God and where they're headed, if they're headed towards, you know, eternal um, intimacy with the Lord, or if there's hindrances in that. We're looking at their emotional and even societal needs. And with that, we're also looking at how that's affected, you know, self-esteem and morale. And I mean, for this beggar alone, it takes a lot of humility. Um, it also takes desperation. And oftentimes in those places, you know, you're likely to experience great shame. So we're looking at very deep, profound, emotional healing, restoration of earthly relationships, and the establishment of an eternal relationship with God. So in healing, what we can see from this, and if we dissect a lot of how Jesus heals in the gospels, there's the place of physical healing, but there's also the place of deeper discipleship and then the long-term relationship with God. Now, we could press into finding that pattern all through the way that Jesus heals, but that would be a massive exegesis of the Gospels that we probably shouldn't do in one podcast or it would be several hours long. But let's look at just a couple of examples. And one of the most obvious ones is the healing of the paralytic. You know, the friends open up the roof, they lower down their friend and bring him to Jesus. And before Jesus physically heals him, first he forgives his sins. And so many things are going on here with this. You know, the crowd is questioning him. The Pharisees in particular are really challenging him on his ability to forgive sins. And so Christ takes this opportunity to... Um, assert and reveal his identity as Messiah. He shows and exemplifies that thread between him and the Father by taking that authority and forgiving sins. But we also know that Jesus, as you know, a loving Lord, is not trying to reveal the sin of the paralytic or anything like that, or just use him as an example. So we can take from this that God being all-knowing looked in at that man and actually knew that the first thing he needed was freedom from sin. And we don't know the paralytic story. There's other points in the scripture where, you know, a man is blind and people ask Jesus, who sinned, him or his family? And Jesus is like, no, no, he didn't, you know, become blind from someone sinning. So Jesus does break the kind of karma idea that if you do something bad, then something bad is going to happen to you. He breaks that in other points of scripture and kind of separates out the sort of, um, karma-esque cause and effect. But at the same time, we do know that all illness and death is a fall out from sin. And Jesus heals the world by destroying sin. And in that, there is, you know, power for us to call upon healing. And so we sit in this kind of push and pull of there is the relationship that we suffer because of sin, but it's not the karma idea where if you do something bad, then something bad is going to happen to you. He breaks that. But so for the paralytic, you know, we don't know his story. We don't know if maybe he did do something 
stupid that caused him to get in an accident that made him paralyzed. We don't know if he's paralyzed from birth. Um, We don't know how the anger and depression of his situation might have led him into sin because that happens. I mean, when we suffer physically, you know, we suffer emotionally and while emotion is not sin, anything unchecked can birth an unhealthy pattern and could in turn lead us to sin. So it's possible that this man is sitting in a place where, you know, maybe he's made some sort of mistake and maybe it's just the sin pattern could be entirely in his mind, or maybe he's even living in the fear that he did something wrong and that's why he's suffering with his paralysis. We don't know. All we know is that Jesus looked on him and saw that the root of the need was that this man needed to experience grace. He needed to experience being forgiven and know that his soul was free and that that was the most important thing. And then Jesus does this beautiful thing where he links freedom to physical healing. And really what Jesus does there is he kind of goes back to what humanity was made for and points forward to where we're going in that God created humanity to be perfectly strong in perfect health and through having right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. And so freedom of our souls and healing of our bodies or health of our bodies was God's original design for humanity. So Jesus gets to speak all of that over him, but also he's giving the foreshadowing of heaven that what God originally instated for humanity is what we're going to experience when we are with the Lord um, in eternal life. And Jesus reveals himself as the peace in between, as the one who brings us from that place of being fallen and having a broken relationship with God into being able to have eternal life. And so What Jesus does when he heals is, again, he meets that deeper discipleship need and brings us into the place of an eternal relationship with him. And that middle component is the experience of physical healing. Another interesting piece about the paralytic is similar to the blind, to the lame man at the gate is he doesn't technically ask for healing. It's implied by the request of the friends. It's not actually the recorded that the friends say, hey, Jesus, could you heal him? And it's not recorded that the paralytic says anything. And so, again, what we see here is just the Lord um, knowing our need and knowing with that, knowing the deepest need. But let's contrast this with blind Bartimaeus who calls out to Jesus and cries out saying, you know, son of David, have mercy on me over and over again until he's brought to Christ and until Jesus summons him really. And then Jesus actually asks him what he wants. Now, Jesus is all knowing. And, you know, we've seen that from how he, he knew to intuit the paralytics needs. So why in this instance does Jesus actually call him and ask him to specify his request? 
Well, what's different here is that Bartimaeus is seeking Jesus. He's calling out to him. He's looking for him. And then, you know, he makes the very specific request. And I think what the Lord is trying to highlight here is the exposition of his fatherly love over us and the link of what he promises in the scripture of ask and you shall receive. Ask for anything in accordance with God's will and you'll receive it. Well, the will of God is to heal and he wants us to know from this that he's working with the desires of our heart. See, something that's really beautiful in Catholicism is we understand how God can work through redemptive suffering. We know that he can work this side of heaven for, on the purification of our souls through even our more difficult experiences and our physical suffering. And we understand that sometimes we're assigned very heavy crosses. And when we deal with chronic illness, that can be a comfort in understanding that God never assigns a cross without bringing us into resurrection and bringing us into joy and into life. But where that can become a sticky point for us, if we let it become a sticky point, is that we might actually not ask for healing. We run the risk of becoming a little too wrapped up in the idea of God's just doing this for redemptive suffering, you know, offer it up, carry the cross. This is just a cross instead of kind of exploring the option that maybe the Lord wants to work with the desires of our heart. And if the desires of our heart are to be healed, well, again, that references back to who God made us to be and calls us forward into the life we have with Jesus. And so Jesus shows in this moment that when we come to him and we ask for healing, he grants that and he grants that on account of faith. And so what matters in Bartimaeus is that there's the desire to be healed. There's the confidence that Jesus can do that. And there's the willingness to cry out to the Lord and to ask him with expectant faith. Now, as we kind of move forward in praying for healing today, because of, you know, the fallen nature and broken state of our humanity, we're going to be limited to our own level of knowledge. And we're also going to be limited to how our life experiences and feelings shape how we approach it. And so because of that, we're just likely to tend towards a couple different pitfalls that like most pitfalls are pendulum swings of each other. And so kind of one pitfall mindset is to get a little too hype for physical healing. Now, we should be hyped for physical healing. We should have that expectant faith, that excitement, that joy, and not be afraid to pray for healing, but actually let that be a default to stop and ask Jesus and call upon healing, even command healing and pray into that. We should have that confidence in the Lord. But the only way that that can become a pitfall is if we look only at physical healing and don't see it in light of all that Jesus could be doing. 
Because as we look at these examples from scripture, you know, we see that there's a deeper discipleship need and there's a deeper point of emotional connectivity uh, that God is going for with the person. You know, he's working with supplying either a lifelong need or that, um, that spiritual freedom from the forgiveness of sins or showing himself as a father by connecting, you know, emotionally to Bartimaeus by by meeting that request. So there's a place of discipleship in the person. And then there's the establishment of the long-term relationship with Christ. And so physical healing is nestled in with spiritual freedom, emotional healing and conversion. And so if we focus in too much on healing without looking at the broader picture of what the Lord could be doing in that person's life, when we pray for physical healing, and if we don't see physical healing, then we might, we run the risk of thinking that nothing happened. And that's actually short-sighted because the Lord is doing something. But in order to bring about that physical healing, he might know that the first step is that that person might need spiritual freedom, or maybe it's that emotional healing has to come first. Maybe there's a way they need to be kind of reintroduced to society or something like that, or maybe he's calling their heart to conversion. And sometimes God uses physical healing in order to bring those things about, especially conversion. Um, But other times those things have to happen first, just for our hearts and minds to be in a place for us to receive. Now, I want to be sure and specify that um, if you pray for physical healing and you don't see physical healing, it's not a punishment. It's not like, oh, you're not spiritually free or you're not emotionally healthy enough, so you can't be healed. It's not a punishment of a lack of faith. I mean, like we pointed out, the beggar didn't ask to be healed and neither did the paralytic. Um, So it's not a punishment of a lack of faith or something that you've done wrong. But if you don't see physical healing, it's just an indicator that there's another form of healing that God is doing first that is giving the foundation in order for the physical healing to make sense because, you know, physical healing falls in context of a much bigger picture of life with God on earth and life with God in heaven. So if we get almost too hype or too obsessed with physical healing, just on its own, of its own volition, then we just bump up against a wall of not knowing how to respond if the person doesn't receive physical healing. But we also might not think of the steps we can encourage someone to take after they receive physical healing. Because even after they've received that miracle, the Lord is still inviting them into a relationship with him and into that place of deeper discipleship of emotional healing and spiritual freedom. But then if we ride the pendulum swing to the other end of the spectrum, the other pitfall or danger is when we're afraid of like a lack of results and we get discouraged and we don't pray for physical healing at all. Or even if we just don't believe that God is capable of that in this day and age. And this is human, uh, but it's, it's motivated by 
fear generally, fear and and disappointment. And I want to give some grace that normally for those of us who are in the place of being hesitant to pray for physical healing or not wanting to pray for physical healing just at all, that's probably coming from a place of pain. You've probably been discouraged in this regard or been brought up to believe something false about God. And so if that's you, if you're listening to this and you're like, I've prayed for healing before and the person died, or I prayed for healing and I've never seen it happen. Or if you're just believing that God is this like benevolent dictator that wants people to suffer because that's what's holy. I want you to know that I hear that you've been through something really difficult You've been through something that really hurts and that has damaged trust and the damaged trust is completely understandable. But I also want you to know that that is also a stopping point that could keep you from growing in your relationship with Jesus. But what that means is that there's a wound there in you, an emotional wound that the Lord wants to heal because he's not an evil God who refuses to heal. There's many reasons why the Lord might choose a different route of healing for somebody, why he might choose emotional healing or spiritual freedom first, or even why he might allow healing to happen on the other side of heaven when when person is with him in eternity. And we're going to get into that a little bit more um, next week on the next episode. But the truth is, is that your wound is real, but God wants to actually meet you in that place of pain and brokenness and speak life and redemption into that. And that may or may not come from you witnessing a miracle. And it's true that we can decide not to pray for healing and God might still have his way anyway and give a miracle, but we could be cutting ourselves off from an opportunity of discipleship and growth with the Lord. And God works with our prayers and requests. He's a gentleman. He's not pushy. He doesn't even force his way upon us. And so if we're not asking for prayer and we're not asking for a miracle and for healing, then we're probably not going to see that. But so I think the balance in between the extremes is asking God for a miracle, asking God to heal and keeping our hand open to God's sovereign power that he might choose a different path of healing or he might choose a more holistic path and start with one piece and then build to another piece. And so really it's our job to pray and to lean on the Lord, but then pay attention to how God begins to respond. So an example of this is, of course, we could be praying and the person could experience a level of physical healing. Maybe they're in a lot of physical pain. It's like eight out of 10, but you start praying and their pain goes down to four out of 10. Well, pray again. There's even that one time that Jesus healed a man's blindness in stages where first he saw people like trees and then he saw them as men. And what's fascinating about that is that actually the way our eyes work is there's the first part of seeing and then the second part of your brain understanding. So even Jesus gives us this example of layers of physical healing. 
So kind of first step, yeah, pray for healing. And then if the person starts to receive healing, keep praying into that. Um, But if you're praying for physical healing and you don't see physical healing right away, ask the Holy Spirit what else he wants to do in that person's life. Or maybe it's your life. Maybe you're the one receiving prayer for healing and you need to kind of like ask yourself maybe where else you would need healing. And that could be emotional healing, that could be spiritual freedom, or it could be that your own heart needs to come to a new level of conversion with Jesus. And I can promise you, as someone who has, I've been on both ends of, I've received physical miracles, and then I've also journeyed a long time with ailments where I prayed for healing and the Lord actually pressed into different areas of healing in my life first. That whenever Jesus comes and speaks life, he doesn't disappoint. And so even when he gives an emotional healing, when we ask for a physical healing, you're not disappointed when you experience a touch from God and know his love for you. But now I also want to talk a little bit about what do we do when we want someone to be healed, but they're not in a position where they're believing for physical healing. And maybe they're not even a Christian. And so they're not in the mindset of expecting a miracle from God, or maybe they, you know, have always been a Christian or, you know, to your knowledge, have a relationship with God, um, but are not wanting physical healing. Well, let's recognize that when you're going through physical torment, It's very natural and normal for that to be accompanied by a type of grief, and it's extremely stressful, it's discouraging, it's disappointing, your vision of the future changes, and it's easy to experience anxiety and depression. So let's just first of all be patient for those who maybe are not open to physical healing, that their hearts and souls are really suffering and they don't want to pray for physical healing because they just don't want to be disappointed. And so for those of us who don't want to pray for physical healing, if the person doesn't want to receive physical healing, that's coming from you know a place of emotional pain. And so really the way that we need to be Jesus to them is to meet them in the emotional pain. And when you're meeting somebody in something like that, similarly to grief, we need to not dismiss it. We need to not just try to make it better. We need to not look at the bright side or do any of those kind of like cliche things. Now we all need hope. But in order to have hope, we need to actually first be understood. So if you have someone in your life, they're open to physical healing, go into the emotions with them. Be present with them there. Meet them in that place of pain because that's where Jesus is and where he wants to be. I mean, Jesus understands the extreme emotional toll that physical pain takes because of his journey to the cross. And so if we want them to let the love of the Lord into their own hearts, they first need to see that coming from a person that they can see and touch and converse with in the flesh if they don't have that relationship with God. So be with them emotionally and just stay with them there as long as they need you. 
The next thing I want to encourage you to do is to pray into whatever healing journey could happen in the natural. So if they're trying a new treatment, if they've got an upcoming surgery or something like that, pay attention to where there is hope and then pray into the hope. And if the person is really hostile to the idea of healing, it may or may not be a good idea to tell them that you're praying for them, but pray anyway and ask God to move in the natural. And then if there's an opportunity, then you can tell them that that's what you're praying for. And then that can begin to draw the link between uh, their situation and God's kind of healing love. And again, if they're in a place of hostility, you know, pray on your own time for their physical healing, but I would say pray harder for their conversion because that's the healing that's going to last for all time and pay attention to where they are in their spiritual journey. And I would say, make that even your more primary focus, um, be a friend and a confidant first. And remember that trust is just the foundation. So kind of just to recap this, when you're trying to discern how God is healing, I would say in general, start by praying for the physical healing. You know, obviously it's it's what we want, whether we're feeling open and believing that that's what God can do or not. That's what we want. We, we want to feel better. You know, we want to be strong. We want to be healthy. And truly that's God's plan. Um, but we need to know that if he takes a different route, that his God's end goal is still our health, our strength and our security in him. Even if the first thing he does is an emotional healing or a spiritual freedom. So pray for physical healing because it's what we want. And then if you see physical healing happen, go deeper into that place of discipleship. What wounds were attached to this that God can heal next? And how can you help that person come into either a full relationship with Christ for the first time or into an even deeper place of conversion and intimacy with the Lord? But if you don't see that physical healing, then consider the other places in that person's heart, soul, and life that need a touch of healing from the Lord. A scripture that always comes to mind that might not seem to fit, you know, with this topic today, but I, I think often about how the scripture says that the Lord is near the brokenhearted. And the thing about emotional pain or having a broken heart is that you can have a broken heart without suffering any physical torment. But when you suffer physical torment, you tend to also get a broken heart. It's hard to not be emotionally damaged or traumatized, um, or like we said, depressed or anxious when physical trauma happens um, or when you have a chronic health problem. So when we walk the road of evangelization with someone who's suffering, we want to prioritize that emotional 
well-being and consider that just as important as praying for their physical healing. Because if they are just, if there's other ways that God wants to heal them, but we don't take that into account, if we pray over and over again for physical healing and they never see that, then we're just going to help them plummet into deeper and deeper discouragement. So yes, pray for physical healing. God wants us healed and pay attention to how this fits in the context of discipleship and conversion. So in all things, lean on the Lord and rely on the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.